This is the Iron Podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to the Iron Podcast. We're here at Extreme Iron Pro Gym and we are doing episode 22 with Mr. Jeff Dwelly, our first third time guest. Thank you, Jeff. It's a little a little maneuvering with our new setup here. It but, is. But uh, very comfortable. Thank you for having me for round three, Mark. I am turbo excited to be here All right. again All right. and excited to see what comes out of it today. I am too, man. You know, we got a lot of great feedback on just talking about all things bodybuilding and where we last let off uh, left off <coughs> excuse me we were talking about um, what it takes and, and how many people underestimate their ability to put in hard uh, hard consistent work mm-hmm. but bef- before I go there I want to talk about uh, so we're the Texas NBC is one show down correct that's correct and we have a show this weekend Correct, the Ronnie Coleman Classic. And then there's a show in eight days or seven days? Eight days. Eight days. Correct, the that city limits. Okay, so let's talk all things NPC according to Jeff Dwelly. Sure. Uh, Bob Cicciarello was last weekend, or I should say weekend before last in Houston, first okay. show of the year. Um, I think the, the turnout was, was rather light. And we now have three shows in the Metroplex, the Ronnie Coleman Classic Saturday okay. uh, in Fort Worth at the Convention Center. And then we have Dre Dillard's event, the, the City Limits, uh, okay. in Waxahachie at their Convention Center. And that is in conjunction. She has a, a pro men's physique event there, too. And then we have the Phil Heath Classic, which is on April 28th. Wow. And that's at the Arlington Convention Center. So we have three uh, what I would consider uh, large shows in the Metroplex in the next four weeks. Wow. That's kind of a log jam a little bit, man. It, it, it seems that way. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what, what, what the turnout looks like. Um, and what competitors do. I've felt like the the beginning of the year this year has been I, I would consider pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, so far, at least, sort of on the on the front of people talking about doing shows and uh, preparing for events. So it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see sort of what the turnout looks like at the three different events. Right. Um, and then if you have competitors who are trying to carry from one to two to three or if they picked one to start with or how that's going to look and then what is the sort of the the segmentation of the competitors look like or we do we have people showing up in classic or bikini right or men's physique and uh it gives you kind of a good indication of what uh sort of the trend is coming into the year you know it, it seemed like uh there was a huge amount of buzz over the first show and then it just kind of has dropped is the scheduling of this year i mean to me it doesn't seem as exciting as it was last year it just seemed like there was a a bigger more consistent buzz i guess what i'm asking is is this schedule competitor friendly uh you know i think this would probably be a uh, maybe a little bit of a controversial subject and i should say i don't i I don't know exactly what the impetus is behind the, the current sort of idea um I can tell you originally when we had sort of a changing of the guard, the idea was to incentivize promoters uh, by allowing them to, to pick up shows and participate, okay. uh, which I think is, is fantastic. Uh, but I, I think the question is, and, and, and I don't know the statistics, although it would be interesting to research, right. um, and I don't know if there's a real linear answer, but the, w- w- what number of competitors supports 25 events in 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 a state and how do you justify making all 25 events a a national qualifying event those are sort of uh unprecedented things that have been done in the npc all 25 all 25 wow uh so that that changes uh and again this has been in place again this will have been the third year uh but the, the dynamic just in terms of the the way that not only competitors 
would approach events, but right. service providers, coaches, uh, tanning, hair and makeup, anyone who would have something to do with, with an event itself, and then the promoters themselves in terms of uh, the way they would approach uh, scheduling a show um, or trying to find a spot. Right. Uh, and then I would assume the way they're willing to spend money uh, and produce an event, all of those things I think would play a pretty large role in the overall health of the organization, at least in the state of Texas. And it would be interesting to kind of see how is that trending. Now, that's a lot of sort of uh, data compilation, but the reality is is that uh, it has to be sort of a, it's, it's got to be very difficult for all promoters, and it's not 25 promoters because some have several shows, but nonetheless, right, right. It, it's got to be difficult to, to have enough sort of business competitors uh, to be able for all of those shows to, to be prosperous or to make sense for the promoters. Um, and I, I will be interested to see throughout this year what, what that looks like and what the distribution of competitors is, what the turnout is, and what is a healthy number of competitors to sort of be able to perpetuate each of these shows. No, you, you know what, that's interesting because you're you're talking all math. It's all math. It's, it's, it's data. It's data collection. I mean, I, I think that the thing about it is, is like anytime you sort of have an organization, I think you're hoping to make decisions that perpetuate the health of the organization. Right. And that may very well be happening. Um, it, it would be interesting to sort of take all of the pieces, you know, number of NPC registrants in Texas, and not that you can't come from out of the state because you can. Uh, is that increasing? Is that decreasing? Is it the same? Uh, feedback from the promoters themselves right. uh, in terms of, you know, are they generating revenue or are they not? Is there a reason why they're not? Can there be some fixes? And there have been some, my understanding is, is some implementation of some different rules this year that should be beneficial to promoters uh, as they sort of go through sort of having this, uh, some kind of cost cutting to some of the promoters. Um, it, it, it's an, I think it's an interesting uh, stress sort of dynamic right. uh, that I think right now we're seeing so much change from so many different directions within the industry, right. uh, specifically sort of the way people uh, receive information, the way people share information, uh, the way people become aware of the organization, the opportunities, uh, where they get services, right. uh, and then their level of preparation for such shows. And then I think really what is the, sort of the feedback about having competed in the shows, the experience, is it something that perpetuates continuity in the in the customers, and that is the competitors? I, you know, and I think those are all great, uh, great points that you touched on. From from my standpoint of operating a facility where people, you know, prepare, there was a, a huge amount of buzz and a huge amount of excitement on the first show, and mm -hmm. a lot of many, you know, first time competitors. I think, and and this is, you know, being an armchair quarterback. Yeah. I think the gap between show one and show two is is too much because if you're a young competitor and you're wanting to do a couple shows in a mm -hmm. row i just don't think the discipline's there to hang in there for that long of a gap but then on the other hand i see guys taking advantage of that time down and really making some really big improvements and i see that's kind of a measuring stick on who's really committed and and who's not mm -hmm. but then it also feels like it just hasn't gotten started in Dallas yet. It does until, feel that way. Until this week. And, and last year, I mean, for me last year, I felt like by this date, it was full-blown. It was. Full-on. It was. And I don't, from from my standpoint, I you know, I don't think there should be a gap. I, I think there should be a little bit more consistency uh, in the scheduling. But again, you know, I have... I have no dog in this fight mm -hmm. other than, than trying to accommodate the competitors' needs. Uh, what national shows are going on around what our state's doing right sure. now? Sure. Uh, the national schedule kicks off in May, uh, Junior USA, which would be 
sort of the, the, the smallest national level show. I believe it's probably on the same weekend as the Kuklo, the 19th. Okay. Uh, and then you have Junior Nationals in June, third weekend, which is the same weekend as the Europa. And then what really happens is, is you'll see sort of our national qualifiers, and that could include these three coming up. And then the Kuklo, you can see them feeding in what's traditionally would be Junior Nationals in right. June. And then the shows where people... Uh, sort of in the categories where you're really focused on getting a card fast. Uh, Universe in New York is the first weekend in July. That's the show that offers it's a ton of cards in the open classes. Wow. And then Masters Nationals three, week later, three weeks later for those who are 35 and over. A ton of cards. A week after that, the last weekend in July is USA. A ton of cards at that show. So you have a run there through July where there are people who can double up national shows, and they will. Okay. And then you skip then into the end of August, early September, and you have the North American, which gives the most total cards of any show. And so that's, wow. a, that's a real incentive for sort of all competitors to get that event. And then you have a big leap to NPC Nationals, which is kind of the granddaddy of them all, in November. And you'll have right. some who cross from September to November. Uh, again, it's, you know, Mark, and this has always been kind of an interesting question to me. Uh, wh what is it, and, and I've asked people this at shows before, because, you know, sort of in our history, we sort of have this, you know, one year we have an event that's giant, and then the next year it's not. And I, and I say, right. well, what? what what causes these trends? I mean, I don't understand them. Like, well, right. why do we do it this way, and why do competitors decide one year is once great? There have to be so many reasons, and so uh, it, it's difficult to get a feel for like the flow of the shows and what's popular and what's not popular. Um, and, and then it's difficult to be honest for me, and, and I and to it's a lack of education. But when competitors and and or coaches are picking events or creating a strategy. Uh, I often think it's, uh, I just don't know that they have all of the information to be able to make educated decisions right. when doing so. I can't tell you how many people I have told, hey, you don't have to qualify to go to Masters Nationals or even North American by placing. You just have to have done a Masters event and you're right. automatically qualified to go to that show. Or there are two pro cards a class at Universe in Bikini, but there's only one pro card a class at North American Bikini. Look, it's all very complicated. It is. Wow. But the reality is, if you are either a competitor or a coach who's providing strategies for competitors, I think you're, the responsibility is, is to understand the dynamic of the schedule um, and then be able to give the competitor or make choices for the competitor that have the sort of the, the most likelihood of them being successful in mind. And a lot of things come into play. I got you. But the reality is, is I, I think that like when you're thinking about this, and, and my thinking has evolved a lot on this too, uh, what is it that is the appropriate time frame for me to prepare for an event? And then what, what are the things that I want the, the competitor to accomplish? And then what show or shows give us the highest likelihood of accomplishing those goals. And I hear a lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to do such and such just because I think it's cool or uh, because they have a lot of cards there or whatever. And, and it's just it's just pure lack of education. It's absolute lack of education, right. which I, I, I mean, I, it's not difficult to get to the answers. They're confusing. And we, we it, right. it is hard to sort of... I, I just worked with a competitor last week, and we literally just wrote down the number of cards that are offered in North America and the number of masters. And so she could just kind of see it on paper and say, okay, well, I can see how this makes sense. And, hey, maybe it matters and maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, but you are sort of at the end of the day, you're making a statistical decision. There are some things that you can't control. I don't know how many competitors are going to be in shows. And, you know, I, I don't know what the talent level is going to be there. But I can make decisions based on the set of data that I do have. Right. And that's much more – you're likely – of getting in the right direction is much higher than just making random choices. And we make a lot of random choices. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> okay. that's a lot. I have a question for you. Yes. So I hear a lot about people, you know, the NPC adding more cards. When it used to be rare back in the day to get it, you have to be a badass to get Correct. a pro card. Right? Yes. And so nowadays they're giving more pro cards to, you know, uh, to people that are coming in. Do you think there's a reason, like maybe they're trying to like boost the competition? Maybe they're trying to maybe they um, do they uh, do you have to pay more as a competitor yeah, a in question. the pros to to get into a pro show? Is it's it a way for them to make more money than just having maybe 
20 guys who have a pro card in the whole country to having like 300 or like a thousand pros it's, to be more competitive it, you know th th that's an interesting uh, i kind of call it like it's the it's it's like the pro card cliff it's it's an interesting question because you I like that pro you card would the idea behind the pro card is to benefit the amateur, right? It's to it's yeah. to incentivize the amateur, absolutely, right? So absolutely. the amateur says, "Hey, um, I, I'd like to win my card." Like that's a goal. And right. and today, and we've talked about this. Uh, that seems to be in a good, this would be a good survey too. But in terms of, I, I think competing in general, any competitor who is starting out would say sort of like the ultimate goal is to become a professional competitor so that right. that goal seems to have the most incentive Absolutely. and so what I would and of course I never present for any of these meetings I could uh, sort of think that what happened was and this happened sort of back in 2001 a long time ago when the NPC introduced the figure division or even back further when the NPC in 97 introduced fitness uh, I, I think they would have said well look we have a new division and we need to be able to create sort of a pro division by offering a number of pro cards to sort of just get like a, a quantity of competitors to have right. shows, right? Absolutely. And so I think that was the initial incentive is right. to be able to qualify enough people through that professional shows can add the division and then have legitimate professional shows. And so I would assume that was the, the initial sort of incentive behind doing so. And then I, I have to think that at some point when Bikini became uh, part of the NPC in 2009 and then Men's Physique in 2011 and blah 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 uh, what happened was and, and again and this is where sort of the pro card phenomenon comes into play uh, I think at least in my experience is that people's likelihood to spend money uh, and their incentive to spend money or participate is to earn the pro card so I feel like all the value goes into right, right distributing pro cards um and then this well, is I'd the next question which is agree. a fascinating question it is so let's say you've had people earn their pro cards right. and you earned your pro card because you got second in masters 35 and over men's physique b class whatever okay. that person most likely um i w probably does not have much of a professional career coming up, I would guess. A lot of people win their pro right. cards, right. get second in a master's class. I'm just extrapolating most likely is not J Jeremy Buendia. But, so where does person go next? And what value is it to professional promoter to have all these these competitors and shows because here's the reality no they don't pay an entry fee in pro card I mean they're IFBB professionals they're earning money they're professional competitors they do not pay an entry fee do they pay for their pro card every year I think it's like $250 I think it's similar to having an NPC yeah, card that was my next question right. yeah so so is there some value there there is um, but the reality is this and this is what's interesting so professional promoters promote these shows right well how do they pay out for the winners how do they pay the purses well they have to incentivize sponsors right to write checks to to distribute money to the, the winners of the shows well how do you incentivize sponsors well you incentivize sponsors by saying well I'm gonna have this event and this many people are gonna come because we have these people competing in the show and people want to watch them well the reality is that's actually not true I mean the national big national level shows are the, by far the largest draw except when you get to Olympia and the Arnold those are our big draw shows but the reality is and I've been to many of these shows and I feel sorry for these people but you have these these professionals who win their cards and they go to these professional events there's no one sitting in the audience there's no one now when the amateurs come on all the families and everybody else comes in and they bought tickets but it's Jarvis, it's, it's a fascinating question, and, and this is, and again, I don't know any of this data, but but the reality is, is professional promoters do not benefit, they do not benefit from the issuance of all these pro cards, because look, people, when you're talking about a professional event, you do expect some standard of competitiveness, and you would be like, hey man, I want to go, this is why men's bodybuilding professional level is always going, it's right. still always going to carry the torch, because it is a freak show, and it's awesome. So people will pay money to go see it. But I'll be honest, when I went to the Arnold pre-judging, it was maybe maybe halfway full. 
for the men's open. Really? Maybe halfway full. Now, the night show was wheels off. It was totally right. sold out. But when I went to the pre-charging, you could sit wherever you wanted to. It was pretty amazing. Wow. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, it's an interesting question because I don't know what incentivizes a professional promoter to want to, one, sanction these divisions because that costs money. Right. Uh, and, then, and then, two, have them in the first place because they've got to go find these sponsors. They've got to pay out some cash price, which is not very much. It's right. not much for the divisions other than men's bodybuilding. And what do the competitors do? Well, they they fall off the cliff. Right. Now, I'll tell you this, Gary Udit, and he's smart because he gives out the most pro cards to Masters competitors, um, but he has, and this is just sort of a sign of the times, but he has a Masters pro show in conjunction with North American. Smart it's the first right. day of the show, but the competitors have to pay in. Really? Wow. They pay in just like See, amateurs. That's wow. See, because what I'm thinking is, you know, just by hearing, because I'm not a bodybuilder, yeah. you know, but I do a lot of visuals, I do a lot of photography and video, but I'm thinking people going for the, out for bodybuilding, they're trying to get their pro card, I'm thinking, okay, they have all these pro cards going out, now they're making some kind of money. Now, I heard you earlier, you said that some of the shows just aren't big anymore, like one year they're big, one sure. year they're not, and I think that that stems from them not basically taxing. You know, like, if you're going to get your pro card, it's not free. You know, you have to continue to pay. Like, if you're going to go to a show, a pro is normally when you think of a pro, you think of a sponsorship. Like, you have someone backing you to hold you accountable. It, it, well, it's, look, yeah, it, it's an interesting, <laughs> this is not going to be a good answer. It's an interesting concept. So, what you end up saying, Jarvis, is you say, who benefits from the system? Right. You can just wipe it all away and you can say, look. Who benefits from the system? Follow the money. One, follow the money. Follow the money. Um, and then two, if that the people who benefit from the system are not dissuaded because people are leaving the system, they're upset with the system, they stop spending money, why do you change the system? You don't change it. No. You don't. And so, but, but it's an interesting question. I mean, look, the reality is, is like, and I've said this before, I mean, getting your pro card is the kiss of death unless you are an absolute, absolute Monster. freak. Right. Yeah. You're not, your, your competitive days are over. Not only that, I mean, no one even cares. Like, your ability to sort of market yourself when you are not in the mix. If you're in the mix of top five at national level, that is, to me, is the second best place unless you're in the mix at the top five at the pro level, which the gap between those two things are, is enormous. So it's right. most yeah. likely never going to happen. So if you're sitting at national level, you're like, man, shit, man, I got fourth or whatever. Dude, you are on fire. You will never get higher. You want to stay there as long as you can and right on the edge of that as long as you can because you're relevant. Like, yeah. you're relevant. You know, you can talk about your accomplishments. People think you're cool. The judges think you're cool. You're, you're in the mix. You're a contender, right? Yep. The day you get your card, you should just go dig your own grave because you are done. You are done. That's the end. I mean, because the funnel, I mean, the funnel gets so tight so fast. I mean, what are you going to do? You can go stand next to Jeremy Buendia and, I mean, you think you're going to beat him up? You are not. You will not do that. Do you think you'll beat Julian Malacard? You no. will not. Do you no. think you'll get next to Phil? You will not. The, 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 it, the curve gets so high, and we, the, the organization gives out so many cards that there's a giant disparity and a giant disconnect in terms of the question that you're asking. I think disconnect's the right word. And, right. and why, why does it work that way? I have no so idea. What do, you, what do you think that the... Like the fix for this would be what do you, what sure. do you think would bring the flame back to to bodybuilding top to bottom? I mean, this is sort of an interesting sort of I think a discussion people are having right now, and I could kind of go on for forever. But but the reality is, and again, like this is a really tough one because and this has sort of been the joke about the NPC IPB forever. And I should say I'm totally pro NPC IPB. It changed my life. Such an opportunity right, for me to right. participate. I love it. Uh, but but the reality is is this like I. It, what people will say, and my clients will say, and people who are disgruntled, they'll say, well, fuck the NPC, man, I'll go do something else. I'll go to whatever, I'll go to NSL, or I'll go to GBO, or I'll go to uh, WBF, which does have a good international presence, right? or WBFF, whatever. Um, and they say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they'll say, fuck those guys, man, whatever. Well, the NPC will just laugh at you, because they'll say, yeah, fuck you, we'll see you because when you come back. there's 10 of you, <laughs> and then you'll come back, yep. or 20 of you, and you'll come back. The numbers, at least, at least in general, continue to grow as fitness grows yeah, it's in their favor <clears throat> right All it the always time. is there's 
There's no real challenger. And so it continues to perpetuate itself forward. Now, what, what just as a traditionalist, what would I see, what, what would I love to see as a fix from the bottom floor to the top? I'd like to see at, at uh, national qualifiers like they used to be, five, six, seven a year, even in right. a big state. So that becomes a prestigious event, number one. I'd like to see novice. You have to graduate out of novice. That means you have to win your class before you can even go in the open. That's a great idea. And try to compete and become nationally qualified. I mean, people don't realize this, but there, <laughs> there was no novice in figure or bikini or men's physique. There was no such thing. We just had open divisions. Had to win. You had to go. You had to go straight in. Now, yeah. the, the addition of novice, and this is a strategic, and, and this is a long story, and people don't know this, but. The addition of novice came in those divisions, and I should say bodybuilding had novice forever. I had to win my way out of novice before I even went in the open. That was the wow. graduating system in which you got better. Like I can't just cross back and forth and do whatever. Which but what a dogfight it created. Right? But it was well. But here's and this, and this yeah. is the, this is sort of where I'm saying from bottom to top. This is what I would consider sort of like a cleaner sort of line, a better funnel. So it becomes. It perpetuates competitiveness, right? So you have to compete right. to get out of novice, number one. So you got to be good enough just to get out. Okay. Two, you get in the open. And we have changed now. The organization has changed now. You have to be top two to get nationally qualified in all events where it had been. It's confusing, but it was top three to go to any national level show, top five to be partially qualified in all events except bodybuilding. Now everything is like bodybuilding. You have to be top two. But if you have 25 national qualifiers, top two in all the divisions still kicks out a ton of people. I mean, a ton of people it, go through. It does. But it's so, like everybody gets a ribbon. Every, everyone in, in this situation, they get a participation ribbon. Yeah. Well, I, there are a few. <laughs> so anyway, so if you go novice and you make it competitive to get out one, and then you do sort of like take open and you make it top two, which the organization has. Right. And then you cut the national qualifier. But you know, two thousand when I was competing many years ago, when I was just a kid getting started, there were four national qualifiers in the state of Texas, and they were amazing shows. How Bob Chicharro won the Lone Star and two. 2001, he came wow. down here before he went to USA. I mean, wow. so uh, Johnny Jackson won the South Texas the year before I won it. I mean, these were really good people that sort of earned their way in and, right. and earned their way through. So uh, it would create a little – what the organization had done in Texas – 10 years ago was said, look, I have well, a, a specific promoter said, I have these giant shows, and they're very competitive. And people say, well, I don't want to do your shows. They're too competitive. I'm not going straight into Bikini Open and straight into Men's Physique Open because that's crazy. And he says, no problem. I'm going to create a novice division for you guys. Wow. So okay. that you are welcome to come to my event, lower level competition. You could cross in the Open if you'd like to, and other promoters cannot do that. A, a farm league, so to speak. Yeah. You know. But I'm the only one who can do it. No other promoters can offer the novice division. So that's how novice I gotcha. began. The it was a bit, yeah. And so we, we and, and so eventually we let all of the shows offer no, novice division, and then everybody crossed over. And again, it follow the money. It creates the, the the synergy. But what it does, in my sort of opinion, is. It just waters. It just waters everything down. Okay, everything. And, and this was my point on the number of shows. Uh, the, the we we hear the term "make bodybuilding great" again. You know, it's it's out there a lot right now. And I think one of the things is to you know, every one of your points would make it better. And I think twenty-five national qualifiers takes the prestige title I'm a bodybuilder it, I think it waters it down 100% and, and it, I don't think it should be meant you know not everyone can play in the NFL sure. not everyone can go fight in the UFC I don't think I, I meet more people that are like you know oh I could go be a bodybuilder and I'm like no you mm -hmm. can't I mean I think mentally uh, what I have witnessed firsthand. It, uh, to be able to, to, to take that amount of self-pain mm -hmm. is incredible. Mm -hmm. And they earn their stripes. And I, and I think, in my opinion, there needs to be a raising of the bar. And a I do think earning your way out of novice is unbelievable, would be an unbelievable it would be, system it would be to cool. go back to. And, and I think people just don't realize that they're, they're not aware that the novice system was applied not not specifically it, it was a business decision I think you know and I think under control it was a smart one at the time it could be it, it, it could know? have been and it could have been I think done sort of in the right way and then 
I think what happens is is it, it, there are a lot of things. You know, the shows last too long. You can cross over into a million divisions. Um, I think it makes it tough on everybody. Uh, and then the reality is is that I think you have competitors, and again, I think this takes a couple of years to happen, but they're, they're not prepared. Right. Uh, you have service providers who are not qualified to prepare competitors, and so at some level their experience becomes negative because they're not prepared to be able to move forward appropriately, and then they say, hey, man, fuck this, and then yeah. you start to have some regression in terms of the numbers. And so you, if, you, if you do have sort of a little bit more lineal linear preparation process and something that makes more sense in terms of earning your way through the process on the short term maybe it looks bad i don't know um and maybe we restrict it somewhere it gets restricted some by the organization maybe that looks bad but in the long term for the health of the organization i think it could be a very positive thing but again right now uh again the there is sort of no limit in terms of the way the numbers of people are coming through now things will change not so much this year because those people who got nationally qualified in the old rules last year are still nationally qualified this year so the numbers at the national level shows are still going to look the same but in 2019 when you've kind of cut these numbers down will you see some change in volume number of competitors and quality at national level that will be interesting to see as it trickles through and Will you see more talented competitors staying down at the national qualifying level or the regional level, or will they just walk away? Okay. Uh, So that'll be interesting over the next couple of years um, because it will put pressure on some competitors who say, look, I need to go get re-qualified because I didn't make top 15 at my national level event, and I want to say that I am a three-time nationally qualified competitor on my Instagram, and... A lot of those people will never be able to qualify again. They won't. And so that will be an interesting segment. Will those people still be satisfied with having experience of competing? Or will they walk the the idea uh, completely? I don't know. But that's going to kind of start 19, 20, 21. We'll see how that happens. But it will cause some kind of a change. Well, what what we've done here, uh, and this will be the first time I've kind of just put it out there, but... uh, if you've noticed, the number of prep coaches is drastically down that are cards are at my front desk. And so when the individuals come in, other than the ones I have up there, mm-hmm. I've asked them for references. Okay. And I've asked them for uh, three references, and I've asked them for their competitive resume. And I've had quite a number of individuals that have never, ever been in a show. Really? Who fashioned themselves they, as... They were prep coaches, okay. specifically bikini. Bikini. And I'm just like, wow, man. So my biggest thing to individuals that have come in and said, hey, you know, give me some names. I'm like, hey, A, do your due diligence. B, uh, go a little bit deeper than just the Instagram page. You know, interview your prospective coaches if you were interviewing someone to hire for your business because it's the business of your career which is the business of your body and yeah. you know you, you need to you know more people uh you they put more research in who's going to change the oil in their car yeah than they do for their show but I, i'm gonna hit pause real quick what was the arnold like uh you know i've been to several arnold's uh, it's a it's a cool energy. I, I love it when you get fired up, dude. I, I do because <laughs> you know, he, he, you you get to that place where I see those wheels start going and the momentum starts going and it's it's real. I and I know your your uh, ability to bullshit on this subject is not die. Yeah, because I and because you're passionate, Jeff. And that's I, why I, I do love on. it. I do. Well, I you, do love this. You I do. do love it. It meant a lot to me, and it still does. Oh, you're, um, great, you're a great ambassador. Oh, thank, well, uh, I don't I don't know if everyone would agree with that. But I, I love it. And, well, and, in my this way, right. thank Absolutely. you very much. We're doing this right. Uh, what was the Arnold like? Well, it was wheels off, like so many people. They have such right. a, a huge event, and, and it's a you know, multi-sport. I don't know how many sports they have. I think they said they have 25,000 total competitors in all the wow. events over the weekend. Wow. So wow. it's an enormous... It's an enormous event for, you know, cheer and pole and gymnastics yeah. and MMA and powerlifting and strongman, and that's all awesome. Uh, it's a great forum for that, and uh, downtown Columbus is pretty cool. The convention center is nice. Um, the the bodybuilding, I, I still do love body. 
I still do love bodybuilding. Right. It, it's a lot more technical to me now than it used to be in terms of like me being like a like a fanboy, which I would have been when I was younger. Yeah. Um, I've seen the bodies a lot. And it's probably good, like, research, or it's cool for me to watch it in person and then be able to sort of take some things away in terms of seeing, like, high-level bodies next to each other in person. Right. And it's, it sort of helps me stay sharp in terms of what I see uh, and, and what guys are doing or look like. But I saw the prejudging for the, the wheelchair, which was really cool. Uh, wow. I saw the prejudging for the open men's division. And um, and that that was pretty. It was a. I would say it was a relatively good Arnold. Um, and you had William Bonac sort of pretty dominant in that show. Uh, a small uh, a small framed man who has really put a lot of muscle on his body. And uh, and Steve he has a, Steve did an awesome job, man. He certainly has. He did an awesome job. Sort of really stepped up another level in his competitiveness at a very high level. Um, but it was a it was a good event, and um, so the the prejudging was fun because we got to sit close. Um, and then still to watch the routines, the, the sort of the, the fans get really involved and think it's cool, so that's fun. Um, so it it's it's always fun to kind of uh, be around the energy of it. Um, again, I, I sort of probably see it from a different lens because I, I see the business of sort of, of bodybuilding. And uh, and then I think about what what I came back with was, is and it's just a reminder is how incredibly genetically elite you have to be right to be at that level I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult for me to explain to people and I'm probably somewhat cynical uh, because I don't want to dissuade someone from pursuing their dream goal uh, of being a competitor being a high-level competitor but the reality is is the likelihood that someone who is just wheels off and doing their thing uh, the likelihood of them being successful at doing it is it's it's infinitely low. I mean, yeah. it just well, these guys are just so talented. And I mean, structure and the muscle bellies and their ability to add muscle and uh, their ability to train at all levels, half speed, full speed, no speed, and still continue oh. to get better. Uh, and there's a reason that there's very little turnover at the high level. The good guys stay there for a long time right. because yeah. they're genetically elite, and so there's not like a pool of people jumping in all day long that can take their place. I mean, it's it's an elite group of people. Now, in the other divisions, that does happen. But in men's bodybuilding, it just it doesn't. That's why Dexter's been there forever. for forever, and that's why Sean Roden's been there for forever, and that's why... How is Bonnick's posing routine? Good. I mean, he's a, he, he has a, a real... Uh, he has a real sense of his aesthetic and his movement that's that's very nice. It's really natural for him uh, to, to pose, and so he is a really good presenter. Um, I think he's a, a really a really good representative of the sport in terms of just having really like clean conditioning and a clean right. abdomen for a person who is at the highest level, which is you Ex know been explain controversial. What, explain what you mean by clean abdomen. Yeah, sure. I mean you know what you see is, and even you saw it on Phil. Uh, last year in 2017 um, is is that you, you know why do all these things happen I don't think there's a very specific answer reason but certainly as you grow as a competitor whether it's the food or whether it's water retention or whether it's the androgens or the growth hormone or whatever there certainly is some distortion to the shape of your physique as you move along and uh, uh, Honestly, too, a lot of people, as they train, their abdomens just get bigger, thicker. Their abdominal wall just gets thicker like anything else. Like anything else. And so you are disrupting the sort of the flow of the physique um, and then the distension itself. And again, I mean, with a lot of the guys, I mean, they're consuming... To have such large bodies with so much muscle, to be able to consume enough energy food, to be able to sort of partition through the body, there can be a lot of food in the stomach at some period of time, and that right. can cause most likely some intestinal, even swelling. Right. Um, and so uh, that's been controversial, and you know Arnold sort of made a comment about it a couple of years ago, and this is why he's been yeah. so high on Cedric McMillan, yep. because Cedric has such a you know a clean flow to his physique. Um, it, it, people would say that the distortion itself are sort of going over the top, uh, or accumulating muscle at the cost of the aesthetic of the body or right. the health of the competitor is a bad trait. Um, right. That it is not sort of the intent of what was. And still, at some level, is an, uh, an aesthetic pursuit uh, versus a 
pursuit in which the accumulation of muscle mass uh, has more value than the aesthetic does. And Bonac sort of plays both roles really well. I mean, he's just got such a clean agree. body. And, uh, and, and then, do, though? Like, you know, um, you said that um, as a competitor at such a high level, mm -hmm. like, the bar raises every year. Yes. You think about from where Ronnie was, where Arnold was, to, yes. you know, to Ronnie, to, to now, which is, you know, your feel and, and things like mm -hmm. that. The level's never going to stop. So, at some point, like, you're going to get that where you say, like, the swelling in the abdomen and mm -hmm. things like Something has to give. It does. For for the level to keep rate. It's like, where are we going to be in another 10 years? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think there's possibly a, a regression. I mean, you I mean, people ask the question. Uh, and again, like, ha have things changed in terms of... Uh, have things changed, progressed enough that the physiques have gotten better than they were even 10 years ago? I don't know that they have. I mean, Ronnie sort of is, was the king. There has been nobody who even reaches his standard. Jay in his heyday maybe still was the second best, maybe even Dorian. Um, would Phil have been able to match up to those three guys at their prime? I don't know. But Phil certainly, and someone who was unbelievably aesthetic, we've talked about this before at USA in 2005, I think he right. weighed 210 when he won his pro card. I mean, just, I mean, he would be the perfect classic physique guy back in the day. And he had incredible aesthetics. And then what you have seen, and he would say maybe you haven't he had a hernia repair and all that good stuff and right. maybe that was part of it but nonetheless i think if you were to put his pictures up side by side you have seen some distortion to the aesthetic of his physique what causes those distortions right. i don't know nonetheless he is a different competitor than he was when his body was fresh is it the stress on his body is it that he's gotten bigger and it just changes the flow of his body there's not a lot of really like straightforward answers but the reality is he's different is he the same version of what he was in 2012 is he bigger sure he is is he better i would say he's not better um and so there are some i mean this is sort of like what, what i would obsess about but why is it that sean Roden made it this far and he hasn't had any issues with aesthetics why is it that dexter made it this far and he hasn't had any issues with sex i would say again you're talking about superior superior genetics superior genetics and, and i think that is is not speaking for you, but I know that's why I get frustrated because having uh, having I know uh, quite a few guys that are at the higher level and how hard they've had to work, mm -hmm. even with those superior genetics, mm -hmm. and even with those superior genetics, aren't in the top three. And then you get a bunch of knuckleheads that are like, ah, I'm gonna, you know, they weren't even bodybuilding two years ago and the uh, ability to climb the ladder really quick and a lot very much premature mm -hmm. is there so they take mm -hmm. it as mm -hmm. anyone would but that's where there's that philosophical difference of you know quantity on the amateur level and quality on the pro level sure. and and how it gets diluted um, do you feel uh, that men's physique or classic physique, I apologize, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Classic physique will slow the, the, the crazy process down. Because, like, you know, when we go to the circus, we go see for, we're going there for the elephants. Yeah. We're not going there for the monkeys. We're going there for the elephants. And what did the, you know, like take UFC, when they had a, a problem with the heavyweights, they brought in the fight of the night. You knock someone out, you get more money. To the tune of fifty thousand dollars. Okay. And so they're like, "Well, we we don't have a lot of big guys to show you, but we'll show you a lot of knockouts." Yeah. Uh, you know the crazy survey they did three years ago, where people wanted to go to NASCAR to see how fast people go, and if they don't crash, it, it's mm -hmm. that crazy stuff we have in our society. Yeah. But will classic physique top tap the brakes and bring the aesthetics and I guess the art back? Yes. Of bodybuilding? I, I mean, it has. Uh, and it will. And, and here's the thing about classic that's, maybe this is, a, I'm projecting a little bit from my own sort of standpoint. Uh, but now what you have is, in, in 2018, there has been another, I think at the pro level, they've added another 10 pounds to your height weight limit. Oh, so awesome. it opens things awesome. up more. Uh, they added another 7 pounds at the amateur level. Uh, so they've sort of taken the lid off. So a classic physique truly, and, and I, I kind of did this comparison and talked about it last time, but the reality is, is I see some of these classic physique competitors train and the weights they move, 
and then their level of muscularity, it is it's bodybuilding. I mean, these guys are they are very good, very good bodybuilders. I mean, look, they're not. I mean, I put this Chris Bumstead next to Phil Heath picture up, and Phil makes Bumstead look tiny. But nonetheless, he's not tiny. He is very muscular. He's very strong. He has a very good physique, and he is able to, just like Breon Ansley and just like Rosh and all those guys right. at the top, they're able to get their weight down into a place where they still qualify via the limits, which is smaller than a big Rami, but they're still very muscular, and they still are bodybuilders, but as of today, and hopefully going forward, uh, you they're they're all all of the guys who represent at that level right now are very aesthetic. Does it uh, mean they all look exactly the same? No, that's what's no, great no, about no, 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 no. it, and that's what I really love about classic men's physique today is 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 the body typings are all very similar, which you know per the standard, I understand how that works. Classic is great because Breon Ansley has a, a very different body. If you look at the Arnold next to, to Arash, they're completely different competitors. Okay. Uh, but they were called out together at the end. And so you really? have sort of this apples to oranges comparison. And so that's what makes that really cool is... is Which one did you like? I like I mean, I love Breon. I mean, Arash really is a bodybuilder. Um, he really is. He's just fortunate enough that he can get his weight down. He's clean. He's got a really good upper body. Uh, his posing is a little rigid. And Breon really sort of represents because his flow is like amazing right. and he's just got all the pieces and I really think he's a, he's a really awesome competitor um, but the reality that I really like about for any guy who comes in and says look man I'm really interested in competing and I'm not sure what that might look like uh, you know I ask him some questions um, but, but rarely do you have a guy who comes in and he has the right V taper which would be kind of freakish to automatically say hey man this guy's got to go straight to men's physique like that's that's his gig like he's got the right look for it otherwise what you're saying is is how can I train this guy or sort of like put the pieces together so he could be a very nice classic physique competitor and I say that almost to everyone today and including my men's physique competitors they all get to have to learn classic physique posing all That's of them awesome. do so uh, and I even integrate now and um, in in their sort of initial presentation they all come out and do something for 10 seconds uh, if they're open to it, we cross it. I hybrid it, men's physique and classic physique. So they have some poses in their initial presentation. It's That's super smart. cool. That's it's smart. super cool. It's been fun. And so uh, it gives look, the guys, all guys, and this is something you referenced before we started. Uh, that's the look feel they want I think oh, yeah. they want to train uh, they want to be muscular um, and they want to represent like their heroes either of yesteryear or somebody that they can relate to today I agree and so agree. it is so guys love it they just love it and, and the problem with men's physique is I've talked about this before and this sounds kind of weird but men's physique is a hip contest so if you don't have hips fluid flowing hips you cannot do men's physique well guess how many dudes have fluid flowing hips not very many and guess how many dudes want to learn how to have them not very many yeah, so it's 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 a big disqualifier for most guys well most guys the way their brain works is in structure so classic physique posing just like bodybuilding posing has a certain set of rules and structures that you are learning got so it, that it. makes more sense my left foot goes here my thumb goes in here I grab my right wrist I blow my air out it is a set of processes that I can learn and it's masculine and good, in classic physique I do have the openness to be able to interpret Interpret my poses in the way that best represent my body. Hey, that's cool. And there is enough sort of flair to it, or as much as you want to or not want to have, such that your interpretation is specifically your own and acceptable across the board. Right. And that part is super cool. I mean, I take, I have guys come to me for, for men's physique all the time, and I'm like, look, dude, like, I'll teach this to you, but it's, you're going to be, I'm just straight up, like, you're just not going to be good. Like, you just don't have the pieces for me to be able to move your hips. Your hips are too stiff. You need to do a lot of work. You need right. to have some awareness. Right. Um, and then just in terms of like framing, shaping your physique, the likelihood of somebody elevating in men's physique today is so difficult because when you get to national level, there are so many so, so many guys that have a very similar type physique typing. And if you don't have that structure, long clavicles, tiny waist, crazy eight-pack abs, it's very difficult to progress. But very difficult. you can have a four-pack in classic. You can have a six-pack in classic. You can have eight-class. You don't have to have great arms. You need to. You, you, but, but there are 
there is a way that you are assessed, much like, again, just a smaller version of bodybuilding or a fresher version of more classic version of bodybuilding in which your strengths can combat somebody else's strengths in a much more apples-to-apples -apples basis than just saying, hey, my frame is just not as good as dude's frame. It's never going to work out. That is devastating. And that's why I love classic physique because guys can come back in after their show and they can say, look. And this is what incentivized me for years. They can say, look. I'm going to get better at these things. I'm incentivized to do that. I'm going to bring my arms up. I'm going to get my chest up. I'm going to put more thickness in my back. I'm going to put more depth in my legs. Those are my specific goals, and I'm going to be driven to do those things because I have a clear path. I mean, Suzuki is just like, man, I hope somebody with small waist doesn't show up. I need to put my waist <laughs> trainer on. I need to have more swag or whatever. I know. And so it is not as incentivizing. It's much more limiting. And classic physique is what I would call kind of the every man's sport. Oh, I would, agree. I I would agree. I would agree with you 100%. It's, you know, this year, you know, as an operator, I definitely feel any more questions for classic physique than ever. Yeah. And and having uh, a wider variety of individuals from a wider variety of athletic backgrounds where they're going, man, this just looks like a discipline I want to fall into, a lifestyle that I can live, and, you know, if I can do something where it makes it competitive, man, I like to squat. Oh, you man. Know? Yeah, it's, it's great. super cool. And, and, you know, I think that the, the thing I will say, and this is kind of a, a something I want to address kind of across the board for men and women, is people will come in and they'll say, look, like, uh, I'd like to compete and I want to go into the entry-level division. And for men, that's men's physique. For women, typically, it's it's a figure. Um, and they'll say, well, I'm just not big enough to do classic. I'm just not big right. enough to do women's physique. Whatever. And, and, right. and, and, and so they call it an automatic disqualifier. And, and, and it's it's not. And, and this is something that I've sort of had a hard time interpreting to people because people yeah, don't... You know, there are very few people who have a complete muscular physique, and it is not part of their critique to say, you need to get bigger, better at this. I mean, all of us. Almost all of us, except Ronnie and maybe Jay at some point and maybe Phil, are going to get a critique, hey, you need to bring up such and such. And so what people say is they say, well, look, um, I, I can't do classic because I'm not big enough. Right. I'm just not big enough. Uh, so I need to do men's physique. Well, there are a set of criterion in classic. They're important. Is size one of them? Sure it is. Is aesthetics one of them? Is preparation one of them? Is conditioning one of them? All of those things are. And so... What I have been successful at doing is, one, convincing people just to try it and be open. And then, two, it, it is that we put together a package that hits the criterion in a lot of different ways. Maybe we're not 100% on the size part. Maybe we're only 72%. But maybe on preparation, we're 95 And maybe on conditioning, we're 92 And maybe on structure, we have a really good 87 Well, you know, maybe you have somebody over here who's 100% on muscularity, but their presentation is 50 and their yeah. structure is 42 And And so it, it, it is the combination of those things that you bring at that time that make you successful. And so that's a very difficult hurdle for me to get people to get past. I was never big enough to be in bodybuilding. That doesn't mean I wasn't going to do bodybuilding shows. What am I just going to sit outside and cry all day long? I mean, and that's what a lot of people do. Like, they're just like, oh, no, I'm, I need to be in off-season for forever and keep eating and all that shit. But the reality is, is if it's something that you love to do and want to do, then there shouldn't, you can't have these preconceived notions. Or let people fail you. You certainly can't let people tell you. Yeah. That you are not whatever. Uh, I, I think the the journey, the process, is the real sort of the, the proving point. Well, I was yes. able to do these uh, things, and yes. this is what the outcome was. Now I can make decisions. Man, I really wasn't big enough. I really sucked, blah, blah, blah. I can assure you that the process itself has so much more value personally than saying I just need to get bigger, that there's no way that the right decision is to say, well, I'm never going to be big enough. Getting into the game, challenging yourself, going through those personal challenges, going through the process, improving yep. yourself, that's that's the value. See, all that is far a greater reward than a pro card. Let me tell you in something. In my opinion. And this is what people, this is what's devastating for people, and I sort of am more aware of it as I get older and further away from competing, is it is those experiences that I had in the gym uh, training with my friends are going through tough cardio sessions or posing and getting stuff right and the anticipation of and being able to compete and, and be successful and just feeling good. Right. The plastic trophies are, are, are compared to that mean nothing. They're yeah. a representation of my opportunity to do those things. 
And that's the real value for 99% of us. Are there some people who are able to perpetuate uh, sort of a financial undertaking by doing so? There are some. Yep. The remainder of us, hopefully, are picking some sort of pursuit in our lives, whatever it might be, such that it is fulfilling, uh, that it makes you happy to get up, driven, and better better in your life, just a better version of you. You know, so as we, this week, uh, share the messages and whatnot, there was like, you know, what's the big deal, what's the big deal about episode 22? And so there's two things. Number one, I think that, that feeling of accomplishment and where you just feel fit and healthy Mm -hmm. everything you put on fits just right Uh, you feel powerful you're empowered you've got the highest amount of confidence I would I would encourage people to give classic physique a try Mm -hmm. the second thing I'm going to say is that you need to get someone who's going to be honest and honest doesn't mean negative those are all the points that you just said and then the third, you know, the third and last one is uh, been asked a ton, uh, quite a few, quite a few, quite a few times this year, my recommendation. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say anyone out there who is curious in classic physique, I'm naming you the guru. Oh, and I am nice. using that word. That's awesome. And I'm telling, I've been, so I've, I told everybody, you know, because I'm, I'm, this is a blatant solicitation for people to listen to us, but I said, you know what? I'll give you my answer. I'll answer your question Thursday. And the answer is this. I think there's been a lull, and people are out there, and they're, they're kicking the tires, and they don't. Well, which one should I do? And I'm like, do both, but get someone who's going to be honest with you because you're going to have longevity in classic. Mm-hmm. You're going to have longevity wherever your starting point is. And... I'm, I'm, I'm naming you the guy that they need to talk to. Oh, that's very nice of you. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. As, as an advocate for the sport, uh, and, and, and look, my opinion is, is only mine, and I'm not saying it's right or it's perfect. It's based on some experiences I've had over some period of time. And my desire to want to be informed, and, and, and it is something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, but I am, I, 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 I am sort of honest about what I think someone's prospects could be what direction that might look like but here's my really honest answer is um, if this is something that you're interested in doing um, be open-minded um, a path forward is any path forward is better than no path forward so yeah. people say oh well I don't know if I should go this way or I should go this way or whatever it doesn't fucking matter Pick something just move yes just move train just oh. train eat Get disciplined. Yep. Decide that you are going to get better. Oh, oh no, man! I fucking deadlifted partials instead of fulls. It doesn't fucking care. It doesn't fucking matter. At some point, maybe it does. And if it does, five years down the road, you're gonna start great, and then you <coughs> can thank me then. But the reality is, is, is that the moving forward, the process itself, will perpetuate the right decisions yes. as you move forward because you will grow into a direction yep. that you're passionate about pursuing. 100%. And, and sort of me as an advocate for people who want to do this because this is what I was searching for myself is something that I could believe in and that would motivate me is when I meet someone who's passionate about doing it or is interested or wants help in knowing what that looks like I certainly am as honest as I can be, but the fundamentals really for all of us are are just to start moving forward. Create some discipline. Create a routine. Believe in yourself. Believe in something. Learn. Yeah. Research. But create projects that keep you motivated and incentivized. And by doing those things, you open up the door to choices that will make sense for you when you get to those places. When you get to them. That's right. Yep. I love it. You know, uh, Jeff, this was one your mo- this was definitely your most fired up one. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed you. it the most. As did so, I. So, hey, man, what do you got going on? I know you tell us about, you know, you got a posing class. Yeah, sure. I'll stuff. tell you a little bit about the weekend in Dwelly Athletics. Is, awesome. is, uh, as you know, uh, we do hold posing classes at Extreme Iron Pro Gym on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. 
four dollars cash a person. I have been holding posing classes since two thousand. Yep. Which is crazy. Um, I started with two competitors, and it has gone on since then, which has been really cool. It was kind of a grassroots deal. Uh, those those happen at Extreme, and then I host a myriad of services um, that I would be happy to discuss with anyone but most mostly what I would say is, is I, I provide an umbrella of services for people who are interested in fitness goals that can be across the board I do work with a lot of people who do competitions I do a lot of work with people who are just highly motivated to be fit whatever right. uh, you can find about out about those things at my website dwellyathletics.com you can check me out on Instagram Dwelly Athletics uh, Facebook we have I have two pages Jeffrey Martin Dwelly is mine and then there's a Dwelly Athletics Facebook page too and we have information about all things fitness uh, I am basically today Mark I am uh, what would I call myself a solutions provider oh I like a that. solutions provider for oh, people yes. who are, are looking to achieve goals um, you know in, in, in any aspect of life uh, you know the strategies that we talked about apply right. across the board absolutely uh, problem solving and then just bouncing ideas or questions off of someone else including for myself is always a good thing to do because right. it helps you to come up with with solutions or ideas yeah that can move you forward man I, I'll tell you what uh, you got me a little bit fired yeah. up. <laughs> I can't you know, wait for the, the next show. I the, have some questions for you. Well, awesome. the, the one thing I like about you, Jeff, is you're, you, you're never short on candid, to the point, honesty. And Thank I, you. And that's what I dig about you. Definitely. Uh, so, you know, this, as usual, as we get deeper into the MPC year, we're going to bring you back. Great. And uh, to all of you that contact me over the last three weeks about Classic Physique, now you have my, my answer. Uh, and I encourage you, encourage you to look Jeff up on his Instagram. It is not only educational, but it is fucking funny. Can be funny as well. Uh, so uh, you can reach us now at uh, Iron Podcast on Instagram. Yes, check uh, it out. Check it out. We got some different things coming, and I do mean different in different in a good way. And you awesome. can reach us at Extreme Iron Pro Gym or Extreme Iron PG on Instagram. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Mark, thank you so always much. Always a pleasure. Thank you for always being supportive. So this is Mark Medole. This is Jarvis. This is the Jeff Dwelly. And we are signing off at Extreme Iron Pro Gym here at episode 22 of the Iron Podcast. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Mark Medole. This is the Iron Podcast, and we're here at Extreme Iron Pro Gym.